Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Let me call our attention one more time to the book of John chapter number 17. John chapter number 17. Everything that has been read, everything that has been mentioned, everything that has been talked about this morning lines right up with the message. And only God can do that. Only God can put that in place. Man, if we tried to put it all in place, we would miss something. I'm not saying that we couldn't put forth an effort to put things in place. We, we purposely choose songs to go with the scripture that's being preached, but you could not put together everything that was put together thus far this morning. You, you couldn't do it. I mean, no one, no one knew that Brother Ricky was going to tell the story about his uncle. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know that. I'm sure Brother Ricky didn't know that till he was standing here. Yeah. Uh, so God put together everything that was put together, even in using men to put, and ladies to put together some of the things that were put together. Yeah. But God used it all to center the focus in the right place. Amen. And that focus is on none less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. What a blessing. What a blessing. Uh, Let's look into John chapter number 17. Once again, we'll read verse number 1 down through uh, verse number 5. And we're going to, with the Lord's help, key in on one verse this morning. Verse number 1, the Bible said, These words spake Jesus and lift up His eyes to heaven And said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Let's pray. Once again, Father, we bow before you and we ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. We ask your blessings upon the preaching this morning. Lord, I pray that as the one doing the preaching, I pray that you would Help us to be able to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, may may there be an unction from the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray 
that as others hear the word, I pray that you would bless the hearing also. Lord, we're told in, in the book of Acts that it was the hearing that they heard in chapter number 2. Lord, we ask you, Lord, that you would bless the speaking and the hearing this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take your word, and Lord, may you illuminate your word. May you shine the light in our hearts that needs to be shown. I pray, God, that you would put your light upon our hearts exactly where it needs to be today. Lord, that we might draw closer and nearer to you. And Lord, for this, we'll give you all the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. No one who reads the New Testament can fail to see that it is probably the most lyrical document there is. When I say that, I'm talking about it's almost a song from beginning to end. In light of that, the great note that runs down through all of the song of the New Testament. In fact, it runs through the entirety of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. The song, in spite of the tragic things that we see recorded in Scripture, the note that rings true throughout Scripture is victory and rejoicing. Victory and rejoicing. And that victory and rejoicing that we see is the victory and rejoicing of God's people. And that is only brought about because of the victory that Christ won on Calvary. You and I could not have victory in our life. We could not have rejoicing in our life if it were not for what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And he prays this prayer that we're looking at. He prays this before the event of Calvary. He prays it not too long before the event of Calvary. And he's praying to the Father on our behalf in light of that. Our Lord himself, right under the shadow of the cross spent a great deal of time showing his followers, showing the disciples, if you will, that in spite of the things that were about to happen to him, they could nevertheless be full of rejoicing. Understand this morning that Jesus Christ himself in, in the very foreshadow of the cross. I'm talking about just, just days and hours before he's going to hang upon that cross and the wrath of God is going to be brought upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ preaches and teaches to his people victory and rejoicing. Our victory is not brought about by the things that we have. Our victory is not brought about by the things that we feel like we accomplish. Our victory and our rejoicing rest in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. 
There is no victory. There is no rejoicing outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be people that may be happy for a short time. In fact, the Bible tells us there is, there is joy in sin for a season. So, I mean, the world can have their enticements. They can have their, their joy for just a little while. But there is no true lasting joy, no true lasting victory that it is not inside of the Lord Jesus Christ. With that being said this morning, understand this, to hear the statement, and I've heard this before, to hear the statement that that person is a miserable Christian, to hear that term is almost an oxymoron. Right. It is almost a, con con a contradiction, if you will, of terms. Yeah. To be Christian and to be miserable, it's, they don't go together. They're, they're, they're like oil and water. They just don't mix. Because if a Christian realizes the victory they have in Christ, he will rejoice and she will rejoice. Because it is in him, not in us. The victory I have is not in me. If I look to myself, I will be depressed. If I look to myself, I will be downtrodden. But I look to Jesus Christ and I can be uplifted and I can live in victory and I can rejoice. Because of what He accomplished for us. A Christian is one who is meant to be rejoicing. Full of a sense of wonder. And praise and adoration as he contemplates the great Christian salvation that he or she possesses. And by the way, we possess that because it was a gift given to us. We do not possess that because we decided one day we're going to go down to the local salvation store and we're going to pick us up a little bottle of salvation and we're going to take it home with us. That's not what happened. No. The grace of God appeared to you. The grace of God revealed to you what Jesus Christ did for you and you were born again. There could, not been, there could not have been a better story told, Brother Ricky, than what you told this morning. Why? Because to the knowledge of Brother Ricky and to the knowledge of his mother, there wasn't someone sitting there saying, now you bow your head and you pray this prayer and you do this this way. No, it was from one day to the next that you go in and there's a different person that has a different joy. Why? Because the God of this universe opened the eyes of someone that no one else could open. Amen. There's no doubt that Brother Ricky's mother spent days and hours of time trying to convince her brother that he needed to be saved by the grace of God. And yet God, in time along with him, Shed that light of the glorious gospel of Christ in his heart. And when he did, it was well received. Amen. 
May I just tell you this morning, there is not a... (laughs) The God that I serve this morning, the God you serve, is capable. And there is not one person that He has ever shed the light of His gospel in their heart and caused them to see who they were along with seeing who He is that He did not save by His grace. God's capable. I can tell all the stories I want to tell. I can do all the convincing I want to do. But mine is null and void if God does not shine the light of His gospel in the heart of a believer. It has to be God. It has to be God. He rejoices, the Lord Jesus Christ, in light of what's going on, He rejoices in spite of the circumstances. For the gospel of Jesus Christ not only offers to make us happy when all things are going well, its great aim is that we should rejoice and we should live victorious even in the times of tribulation in our life. Why was it that those great martyrs in days gone by could go out to the stake and be tied up to the stake and the fire could be lit and they could be quoting Scripture and singing songs about Christ? Why could they do that? Because it was what was in their heart, not what was in their head. Those that had it in their head but did not have it in their heart, those people recanted of what they said they believed. But it was those who God had actually shown His light of His glorious gospel in the heart of man. And may I just tell you, that begins in the head. So don't... Let's not downplay a knowledge of Scripture. Let's not downplay the fact that there needs to be a head knowledge because that is where God does the work. God changes the mind. God changes the mind in in turn changing the heart of the person. God makes a difference. But in light of everything that I've just said, to be honest with you, I think many of us would have to admit that's not the condition in most people's lives. We don't live victorious. We don't live rejoicing. We're not always saying that Christ is God. We're not always, we're, 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 we're caught up in ourselves most of the time and in doing so, we're in the mully grubs, we're depressed, we're down. Why? Because we're not looking in the right direction. We're not looking in the right place. The real explanation to the fact that there are some people who are genuinely born again. There are some people who are genuinely converted to Christ. There are some people that are genuinely God's people who do not live in victory. And the reason is they're not looking the right way. Why does God tell us that we are to have our eyes fixed upon Him? Because if we have our eyes fixed upon Him, then things are going to be different. 
Things are going to be different. We fail to look at the very, the very vastness, if you will, of this Christian salvation that you and I possess. If one really sees these things, even dimly and vague, if we could get a hold of what God has done on our behalf, if we could get a hold of what was accomplished on the days that we celebrate, even around the time that we're celebrating this, this time of year, if we could wrap our minds around that, we would live in victory and rejoicing. Even if we just dimly saw, even if we were like the Apostle Paul who said, I see through a glass darkly. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. What was he talking about? He was talking about this moment that Christ is praying about in this scripture this morning. When Christ came and revealed himself for who he is. That perfect, there is no more perfect than the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't get any more perfect than the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, if we really get a look, even if it is a dim and vague look, if we could understand who Christ is and what Christ has done, then you and I will, we will operate and we will live in victory and we will live in rejoicing. So far in the book of John chapter number 17, we've been looking at the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ and we've looked at it from God's view. This morning I want us to begin in this study to look at it from our view. To look at it from what we see. That doesn't take away, it's almost, I know I say it, we're going to look at it from our view, but even in light of that, we're still going to be concentrating on God. The concentration has to be God. No matter which direction you're looking from, it has to be God that is the central focal point of our focus. In a worldly sense, if we were to offer great wealth and great riches, you would need no encouragement to take hold and possess those things. If, if there were someone that were to come to your door and knock on your door and say, uh, uh, Mr. Nagy, you had, a, you had an uncle that you knew nothing about. And this, why does it always have to be an uncle that dies? You had an aunt. You had a first cousin. Whoever it may have been. We won't play on the uncle this morning. We'll play on everybody else. But you had this person that you did not know that's part of your family that maybe just a friend that was way back yonder that you totally forgot about. But he left you all the riches that he has and, and you're not going to want for anything the rest of your life. You can have everything you want. You can't spend the amount of money he's going to give you. There's no way it can be diminished. It's, it's all there. I'm sure Brother Charles would not have a problem accepting that. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure with the heart Brother Charles has, he wouldn't have a problem accepting it nor sharing it. <laughs> just, just wanted to throw that in there. But in it, let's get back to seriousness. If we were to do that, a person would not have any problem with taking hold of that and enjoying that. Can I tell you something this morning? 
There is something far greater than that. Amen. That has knocked on your door if you're born again. And has revealed to you what the Lord Jesus Christ has for you. And has revealed to you what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I should no longer walk in a point of not being victorious. We should walk in victory because of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're offered the greatest riches of all. There is nothing that could not, could, there's nothing greater that could be offered than what has been offered by God. He's given us the fullness of God, the treasures of grace and wisdom that God has placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us the fullness of the New Testament that speaks of what is available for us, and yet we continue to walk in a state of spiritual poverty. God forgive us. God forgive me. God forgive me that I would rather have anything this world offers instead of what God has for me. God forgive me that I would lay that aside for anything this world has to give me. May I look to Jesus. May I, may I be, and may we all be those ones that would look to the Lord Jesus and look to what He has for us. Why do Christian people need exhortation? Why do they need encouragement to even look in that direction? You and I should be looking there without having to be encouraged, without having to be exhorted to look in that direction. We have a, a the, the, the reason that you and I have a problem in this area is because you and I have several great adversaries. Brother Charles, my first and greatest adversary is me. Yes. It's me. Yes. Because I look to the things that this, this, this physical sense, I look to what it wants to be satisfied rather than looking to the spiritual sense of what would satisfy even the physical. It would give great joy. So we understand that we have the enemy of ourselves, but we have an adversary called the devil. And every since day number one, every since the, the devil did what he did, his, his whole aim, his whole direction has been to steal the glory of God. That's what he's been after. He's been after God's glory. Did he not say that he would set himself up to be God? He would take the glory from God. That was his whole aim. That was his whole purpose. And that's what he tries to do when he steals away our joy, when he steals away our rejoicing. He's taking the glory of God because it is in God's people that God is most glorified. It is in his people. God's greatest glory is in his people. When then, or what then, is this eternal life? Look in verse number 2, and this is what I want us to key in on today. What I want to look at from this scripture, verse number 2. 
The Bible said, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I want us to key in and and centralize on that statement that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That's what I want us to consider. That, that eternal life. What is eternal life which he speaks about? Consider, if you will, John chapter number 3 and verse number 16. The Bible said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Why? Why did God give his Son? God loved the world. We understand that He loved the world. And because He loved the world, He gave His Son. But why did He give His Son? He goes on to answer that. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. That's the negative. But here comes the positive. But have everlasting life. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die upon the cross? Why did He go to the grave for three days? Why did Jesus resurrect? He did that so that I could have eternal life. He did that, and this is what we've got to get a hold of as the children of God this morning. He did that not only that I could have eternal life, but that I could have as Jesus said, life and have it more abundantly. When he's talking about having life and having it more abundantly, he is not using a cliche that this world is talking about this day and time on living large. That's not what he's talking about. I had a... I had a gentleman that I know started a church and he started it down in, in Rockwell and he was he had got up he got caught up with this prosperity gospel thing. And the name of his church was Living Large Ministries. I, that's not what God's talking about. That's not what God's dealing with when he said that he gave them life and gave it to them more abundantly. You and I have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be a driving force to our victory and our rejoicing. Why did He come from God? Why did He leave the courts of heaven? Why did He humble Himself before those things that He was going to deal with? Why did He make Himself in the likeness of sinful flesh? The answer to all those questions is so that you and I could have life and have it everlasting. And that life that He gave us that's everlasting, when we see it as it is, will cause us to live abundantly. Doesn't mean we're going to have a fat wallet. Doesn't mean we're going to have a large bank account. But we can rejoice in the middle of tribulation. 
We can rejoice. We, we can rejoice when the power bills having a hard time being paid. We can rejoice when things aren't going so great. We can rejoice when all the cars are breaking down. We can rejoice when everything's happening that is not good because we're looking in the right direction. And that is looking like we sang this morning, turning our eyes to Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. You and I can have joy there. I want to give you four principles this morning real quickly. Four principles I want us to consider. First of all, I want us to consider that we should have eternal life. He tells us here in verse number 2, as thou, in verse number 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. What is a Christian? What is Christianity? A Christian is a person who possesses eternal life. If, you're, if you are a Christian, you possess eternal life. Why? Because that's a gift from the Father. That's something given to the Father. That's something procured by Jesus Christ the Son. And that is something that is produced in our life by the Holy Spirit. You and I have eternal life. You and I, as we understand this, we know that uh, the Christian is one that possesses eternal life. The very essence and end of Christian salvation is the possession of eternal life. What makes us a Christian is that we are going to live forever. What is, what is the purpose of our life? What's the purpose of our eternal life? What's the purpose of our life now? That we might know God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. That's our reason for being here. That's why God saved us. That we might know God. And that we might enjoy Him forever. Amen. God created us. God saved us that we could enjoy Him. Can I just be honest with you? God didn't need us. Right. God produced us and made us and saved us because we need Him. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, that produces glory. I mean, who else has produced someone that is an enemy to them that makes them a friend? That's what God did. Yes. God allowed us to be born and be born in this world and in this flesh, an enemy to him, and he an enemy to us. And God sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary, to be buried, to resurrect again, so that you and I could be friends with God. Yeah. We could be reconciled with God. What a blessing. Yeah. You and I. That 
he, he came and the purpose of his coming is that he should give them eternal life. That's what he told us in verse number two. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Who's going to be saved? All that are going to be saved. That's exactly how many is going to be saved. Because he gave him, gave eternal life to as many as the Father had given to him. You say, you say, how many people are going to be saved? Every one of them God intends on being saved. There's not one that God intends on being saved that's going to be lost. If that troubles your doctrine, if that troubles your heart, I'm sorry, that's what God said. That's what He gave us in Scripture. To as many, He gave eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. When did He do that? He did that in that council we talked about before the world was. Is that not what He told us? In verse number 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thyself with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That council that was held. And he's praying to God the Father that he give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. The principle that we need to consider if we're going to live victoriously, if we're going to live rejoicing, is that you and I have eternal life. I may lay down this body someday. If Jesus Christ doesn't come back in glory, then I will lay down this body someday. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this to judgment. You and I, if Jesus Christ does not come back, if He does not return, if He does not take us out of here, we will die. This body will die. But my soul and spirit won't. Because Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary's cross. And I was given eternal life. With that being said, number two, the obvious implication, if I've been given eternal life, the obvious implication to that part is this gift we are all, we're given is because we were without life. What did, what did, what did Paul tell us in the book of Ephesians chapter number 2? And you hath he, what? Quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've got to understand something this morning. We may have been breathing. We may have been, we may have been something in the sight of everybody else that was living and breathing on this earth. But we were spiritually dormant. We were dead. There was no life outside the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never see the true greatness of Christian salvation until we fully see and realize the nature of man. We're not going to recognize the, the, the... the true nature of God till we see the nature of man. What is the nature of man? We are totally depraved. Right. There is no good. 
There's no spark of divinity. There's no good in any person that's ever been born on this earth. Anything good in us was produced by the righteousness of Christ and that only after salvation. Because it is only after salvation that we reside in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never see the true greatness of Christian salvation until we recognize the nature of man. The trouble with men by nature is not that he is incomplete. The trouble with man is not that man is incomplete. The trouble with man is man is dead. There is no life in him outside of Christ. So we understand He has given eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. We were not alive before He made us alive. We may have been, as I've already said, we may have been walking the face of this earth. We may have had a physical life, but we were not live until He made us live. Jesus Christ said, He that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. Why? But the wrath of God abideth on him. What a condemnation. But then he tells us in the book of John that those that believe in Him, that He has given eternal life. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, there remaineth now no more condemnation. He came into the world because the world was already condemned. But for those that have received Him, there remaineth now no more condemnation. What a blessing. What a truth. What a blessing. Number three this morning, this eternal life is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Look at what he says in verse number 2. And he has given him power over all flesh that he should give, the, give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. You and I are a gift of the Father to the Son and the Son saves us and gives us back to the Father. Amen. It's all to the glory of God. God, you and I, and the life that we have, this eternal life, is a gift from God. Not only is it something that we can never arrive at, it is something that we never merit. It's not just something that I can't produce. It's also something I don't deserve. This eternal life is not something I can work to and attain to. It's not something I deserve to begin with. It's a gift of God. It's the grace of God that he has given us this salvation. It does not matter what good you do. You will never have eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. And that is the grace of God. And that is the gift of God. The eternal life. Last of all this morning, there is only one person who can give us the gift of eternal life. 
And that is the one that is praying in John chapter number 17. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says here in verse number two, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Man alone is insufficient. Man alone is dead. Man alone can produce nothing spiritual. It is Christ and He alone who can give eternal life. Yes, that eternal life comes no, by no other direction than Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no other way. There is no one else that can give eternal life. There is no one else that can give eternal life to a man except the Lord Jesus Christ. If it were possible any other way, Ask yourself the question, if it were possible any other way, why did Christ ever come to earth? Why did he work as a carpenter? Why did he endure what he endured? Why did he die on the cross? Why are there agonies and blood and sweat and tears that Jesus Christ had. He had all of that. And all of that was purposed in his life. That he might accomplish this thing. Of giving us eternal life. I'm not denying this morning. That you and I may have had some experiences in our life. But it is my business to proclaim to you this morning. That whatever happens. You may find what release, whatever freedom, whatever guidance, whatever miraculous thing that may seem to happen to you unless you obtain them directly and only through the Son of God. It is not life from God and you and I, you are the victim of a delusion. Those people that are practicing and living in this, this prosperity gospel, it breaks my heart to look at places like Texas and Joe Olstein and the crowd that's there. That great majority of people that are living their life thinking they have something when they do not have the true gospel. They do not have the truth of eternal life through Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is He and He alone that is the giver of eternal life. So understanding that and understanding that life has been given to you as a child of God, you and I should live a victorious life. We should live a life of rejoicing. Why? Because it is Christ who gave that life. And not we who obtained that life on our own. Let's pray.